0: ESCAPE POD NUMBER 350 JUNE 21, 2012 OBSERVER Effects BY TIM PRATT
1: Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. This week, the end of our string of superhero stories, I'm afraid, but it's a goodie. We bring you Observer Effects by Tim Pratt. Tim's stories have appeared in the Best American Short Stories, the year's Best Fantasy and Horror, and Other Nice Places. He's won a Hugo for his short fiction, and he lives in Berkeley, California with his wife and son. Find him online at timpratt.org. This story first appeared in Douglas Lane's Diet Soap back in 2007, and it's read to you by A. Kovacs. So listen up, because I see you, and it's story time.
0: Observer Effects by Tim Pratt Ubiquitous surveillance isn't the problem. Asymmetrical, ubiquitous surveillance is the problem. The Liberator was playing Chinese checkers against himself and talking, 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 like always. Who watches the Watchmen, after all? We were superheroes then. Celebrities, back when there were such things. It was a slow night at Orbital headquarters. and I.O. was sitting at the big screen, watching a couple of people fuck, consensually or we would have done something about it in an alleyway. The screen was green with night vision enhancements, and Io's strange, complicated face was perfectly placid, as he observed. The problem is that we can watch ordinary people, and they can't watch us, the liberator went on. He looked at me longingly, searchingly. And I thought it might be nice to tweak the inside of his brain and get rid of his earnestness, give him a little taste of what infamous brain damage victim Phineas Gage got when that iron bar slammed through his frontal lobe, a total personality turnaround, from nice guy to sociopath. Let the Liberator be selfish and impulsive and violent and mercurial for a while, so he could appreciate the way normal, avaricious, sneaky, hungry, desperate, needy people felt. But that was supervillain thinking, and I'd gone straight and narrow. In those days, I cured neurological damage instead of inflicting it. I fixed people. Except bad people, those I was sometimes still allowed to play with. I'd refused to give up my supervillain name, though. The Liberator had wanted to call me Dr. Neuro when I joined his little boys club, but I'd insisted on keeping my maiden name, as it were. Doctor. Please. I was a high school dropout. Do you see, the liberator said, if ordinary people could see us, if everyone could see everyone else, it wouldn't matter if there were no privacy. Hmm, I said, and tried to keep reading my book, a physics textbook. I was deep into a chapter on Heisenberg. His big achievement was the uncertainty principle, which says you can't know both the position and the momentum of a given particle at the same time. I know. You know that. But like I said, I didn't do much school. I had a lot of catching up to do if I was going to hang out with the super science types. I always thought the uncertainty principle had something to do with observing, how just the act of looking at something changed its nature. But apparently that's a whole different thing called the observer effect. That's the kind of confusion you get when your grasp of physics comes from made-for-TV science fiction movies named after the monster that eats the boyfriend in the second act. I wasn't too clear on the implications of the uncertainty principle, but I understood the observer effect. Me and the boys observed things all the time. Io observed everything all the time. And we sure as hell changed what we saw if we thought it needed changing. In cultures where many people live in the same house, or otherwise in close quarters, they develop coping mechanisms to deal with the lack of privacy," the Liberator said. They are capable not just of ignoring one another, but of genuinely not noticing certain actions or behaviors of a personal and intimate nature. If everyone in the world could see everyone else at will, we would all surely develop those same skills, do you see? Selective blindness for the greater social good. "'Sure, sure,' I said, and turned to page. "'But for now, it's one way. "'We can watch ordinary people and see them commit crimes, "'yes, of course, and stop them. "'But we can also watch them masturbate, cross-dress, "'auto-asphyxiate, read stolen library books in the bath, "'drink too much, ingest recreational drugs, "'curl up into a ball in the shower and cry, "'walk around naked scratching themselves.' Despite its benefits, our program of super-surveillance is a gross invasion of privacy. So tell Io to stop looking, I said. Io didn't turn to look at me, but I could feel his attention. He could see everything. Not just into your bedroom, but into your bank account, and your safety deposit boxes, and your web browser history, too. And he could project whatever he saw as visual information on a screen. He was one of those freaks born with weird brain powers, like me. But there was some super science involved too, boosting his natural abilities. Io wasn't all knowing. He couldn't see into your mind or your heart, but he was all seeing. If I'd had a power like that, I might have kept on being a supervillain. But if somebody made him stop looking, what would that be like for Io? He'd probably go crazy. Hm more crazy. It would be like going blind times a million. Plus, our super team would lose all the money we made leasing IO's data mining skills to big business and the government, and from the occasional under-the-table spy job. That cash kept us in body armor and jump jets and energy drinks." The Liberator shook his head. The benefits of watching are too great for us to stop the program. Terrorism and violent crime are finally under control, since IO joined our team. But the drawbacks? The Liberator's big, earnest face looked troubled. He'd been a farm boy or something, apparently, before his powers manifested, and he'd wrestled with moral and ethical questions the way only someone who'd never missed a meal could afford to. He went on. If every person on earth could watch any cop, or politician, or soldier, or CEO at will, it would be fair. The police wouldn't bother you about your bondage porn collection or make fun of your taste in sappy romance movies because you'd have access to their private peccadilloes too. And everyone would learn to be forgiving and turn a blind eye to truly respect privacy. Ubiquitous surveillance is a fact now. We are the guards watching prisoners in our panopticon. The genie is out of the bottle. The opportunities for abuses of power are vast, profound, staggering. But if we could turn the cameras around, it wouldn't matter if your employer could see what you did on your time off, if you could also see what he did in the privacy of his gated mansion. The police cannot so freely abuse you when everyone can witness their abuses too. What are you suggesting? IO spoke mildly, but blinked a couple of his eyes. The ones on top, which I thought betrayed some irritation. "'I'm suggesting we open our services to the public,' the Liberator said. "'To anyone, at will. "'I'm suggesting we set up kiosks at the mall and post offices "'so anyone can see anyone else at the press of a button.'" I.O. shook his head. "'Ordinary people can't afford our services.'" "'We'll charge a sliding scale,' the Liberator said. "'We know how much money everyone really has, after all, "'so we don't have to worry about anyone cheating.'" It's not an invasion of privacy if it's universal. It's the end of privacy, and good riddance. What do you think of our leader's idea, Lesion? I.O. asked me. I sucked my teeth and molded over. I don't want people seeing me when I'm alone, I said finally. I was thinking about all the things I'd done in the past and all the things I thought I was still capable of doing. I don't care about being able to see what other people do either. I hate reality TV anyway. Peeping Toms are creepy. Agreed, I. O. said. He paused. Not about the reality TV, obviously, but about not wanting people to watch me. The Liberator sighed. Alas, as you all know, I was chosen as leader of our group because I was the only one deemed immune to bribery, intimidation, or influence. I do not require your approval. In fact, I've already set the plan into motion. I'll quit. Io said. You can't do it without me. You think I can't make a good living in the private sector? Don't get me wrong. I love the cape and all, but I won't be used. At the very least, we have to be excluded from surveillance. No exclusions. The Liberator rolled a Chinese checker back and forth across the table. The tension between the big guy and Io was thicker than the walls of our space station. I prepared to use my power to lance into their brains and make microscopic telekinetic changes to forestall any sudden violence. The Liberator was basically just an unstoppable killing machine shackled to a hyperactive conscience. But if I messed up his sense of proprioception and he couldn't tell where his arms and legs were, he'd have a hard time doing anything physically drastic, apart from falling down. But he took another tactic, IO, you know a great many state secrets. Without my protection, every government on this planet would seek your immediate death. I repel assassination attempts daily. I don't bother to tell you about it because it's just part of my job. But if you'd like to leave... Io blinked a few more eyes. Right. So, kiosks? Okay. We enacted the plan. It was popular. Every person on Earth had chafed at the knowledge that their every move could be monitored by superheroes in the sky, but they leapt at the chance to wield that power on their own. Oh, people complained, from governments to civil liberties groups, but our space station was a sovereign nation. Long story, it happened after we saved the world one time. Unbound by any other country's laws, we cut businesses and municipalities in on the profits and eventually greed won, like usual. We couldn't install the kiosks fast enough, and our house geek, the solder soldier, was kept busy building more day and night. Everyone wanted to see what their spouses, kids, cousins, employees, bosses, mother-in-laws, elected officials, and babysitters were doing. They wanted to watch movie stars have sex with each other in private. They wanted to see their high school sweethearts naked in the shower. They wanted to see what great chefs ate at home. And those were the relatively harmless desires. In addition to the public surveillance kiosks, the Liberator sold private home consoles, too, with a monthly subscription fee for unlimited use. Those were far more popular. People liked to watch their neighbors in private, even knowing they, too, could be watched. It wasn't exactly the kind of unfettered clairvoyance Io possessed since home voyeurs had to specify a specific location they wanted to watch. But between GPS coordinates and the personal information about most people you could find on the internet, few people could live in true privacy, and a hardcore distributed network of hackers and web junkies went through the world one set of coordinates at a time and published websites detailing what they saw. Needless to say, Utopia did not ensue. People did not go through a period of acting weird and repressed in private, and then just forgetting about the fact that anyone could watch them any time, adopting a live-and-let-live mentality. It didn't go anything like the liberator expected. He may be an impossibly powerful immortal, but despite his best efforts, he just does not understand human nature. He used to wear these stupid disguises, all wigs and fake mustaches and false noses, and go walking among the common people observing them, trying to figure out what made him different from ordinary humans, besides his godlike powers. I tried to explain to him once that it's easy to be altruistic when you have everything, when you can do anything, that being generous means less when you have infinite riches to give, and that you won't even miss the goodies you hand out, but he never seemed to get it. After the kiosk debuted, the world went from having the lowest crime rate since the first hominid picked up a rock with murder in mind, to a chaos of wartime proportions but the war was among families friends, acquaintances, citizens it wasn't just people killing because they'd seen wrongs committed against them, it was people killing to prevent others from seeing the wrongs they'd committed, and killing out of shame and out of frustration and pretty much any other motivation you could think of suicide skyrocketed everything was fucked turn it off the liberator said finally as we watch cities burn from our orbital headquarters? Can't, Io said. The open source movement hacked our consoles ages ago, so most of them can't be turned off remotely anymore, and people are making their own kiosks now. It's out of our control. All the surveillance capabilities are wirelessly connected directly into my nervous system. As long as I'm alive, people will be able to use this technology, and we can't do anything to stop them. I sidled up to the Liberator. I whispered in his ear. If you were a supervillain, the solution would be obvious. I made a pistol of my thumb and forefinger and pointed it at the back of IO's head and saw him tense. The liberator tensed too, then shook his head. No, lesion, that's not our way. But it gives me an idea. He took me to the super science lab. Prazopagnosia, the liberator said. Can you cause it? Face blindness? Sure. If I screw around with the old fusiform gyrus in the frontal lobe, I can make it so people don't recognize faces anymore. They can't tell their wife from their dog walker, their president from a grocery clerk. They can see fine. Their brain just doesn't make the connection that the face belongs with that person. It's great for hiding your identity. I used to do it with bank tellers and other witnesses when my crew robbed banks, but I didn't mention that. I want you to induce face blindness in every person on earth, the liberator said. I frowned. Uh, what? So nobody will be able to recognize the people they're spying on? Yes. Even if they know they're spying on the right person, I think the emotional element will be largely reduced if they can't recognize their faces. It should reduce the violence. Once people calm down, we can give them back their senses. Okay, I said. Moral qualms were never much of an issue with me. But doing that to six billion people is going to take a little time, boss. Like, most of the rest of eternity. I'm good, but I'm not that good. This should speed things up. He showed me the power-boosting helmet the organization's former psychic used to wear, back before he blew his brains out from reading too many horrible innermost thoughts. That whole situation should have been a warning for the Liberator, if you ask me. But the Flying Boy Scout has his limitations. With this, you can change the brains of everyone at once. Everyone? Like Io? Sodder Soldier? You, too? All of us. It's only fair. Right. So I did it. Put on the helmet, tight, and smelled like a dead guy's sweat, but it made me thrum with power. Then it was just tweak, 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 and for all the people of Earth, every face became impossible to recognize. "'That's it,' I said, and took off the helmet, my head pounding. "'He squinted at me. "'Your face!' "'Well, it worked!' "'The Liberator put his hand on my shoulder and called me a good girl, "'and I wanted to give him aphasia and lots of other nasty brain glitches. "'Instead, I just smiled at his face, "'which I could still recognize because I don't hack my own brain, that's rule one, "'and said, "'No problem, boss.' He couldn't understand that I was smiling, of course, so I made it an especially nasty smile. Three days later, Io jettisoned himself out of an airlock into the hard vacuum of space, probably because obsessive voyeurism is a lot less fun when you can only tell people apart based on the clothes they're wearing. All the ubiquitous surveillance consoles quit working as soon as Io was dead. The Liberator wanted me to fix everyone's brain after that, but by then I'd slipped into my civilian clothes, and taken a teleport beam back to earth why stay superheroing wasn't that much different from supervillaining as it turned out except it was more boring and my coworkers were more self-righteous life is really easy when you're the only person who can identify individuals on sight Sure, most folks started wearing particular clothes or jewelry or decorations so their loved ones could identify them, but there are lots of deception and falsehood and con games the bad guys play along those lines too. I never wear the same outfit twice, and I change my hair and go through hats like most people go through toilet paper, so I'm basically invisible. The new children being born don't have the face blindness flaw. Though I tweak the brains of any kids I encounter to eventually freak people out into thinking the condition is hereditary just for kicks. But it'll be interesting to see how the young ones grow up when their parents can't even recognize them. Screw physics. I was always more interested in sociology anyway. Social upheaval is all around now, and it's fascinating. Celebrity culture's a thing of the past. Advertising is totally weird now. Mirrors are out of style. One-night stands are on the rise? I might write a book about it all. The Liberator, of course, was declared an enemy of the world for conspiring to alter the brains of everyone on Earth without consent. And to this day, they shoot missiles at him whenever he flies across the sky. He's easy to recognize, because he still wears the same colorful suit whenever he flies. And, you know, he's the only guy flying. But at least he doesn't have to bother much with disguises anymore. He can just change out of his costume and walk around at will, taking a long look at the faceless world he made. I ran into him once, on a crowded winter street, and he still had that same earnest expression, like the world is a problem he's just about figured out how to solve. I took comfort in the fact that I'm the only one left who could recognize the look. I whispered, I see you, in his ear. And if he'd caught me, it would have been bad. He could have forced me to undo my work. But as fast as he is, I was faster. I just slipped off my jacket and took off my hat and disappeared into the crowd.
1: And that was our story. With great power comes great electricity bills. Let's catch up with some episode feedback with everyone's favorite assistant editor, Nathan Lee. Take it away, Nathan.
2: Hey, you. Nice to see you again. Oh god, oh, I've forgotten your name. Quick, quick. think of a conversation, conversation topic. topic. Hey, have you heard the feedback for episode 343, The Cartographer Wasps and the Anarchist Bees" by E. Lily U? It was the multi-generational story of strife and war among the nation-states of some preternaturally intelligent insects, including, as LaShawn noted, pirate wasps playing sea shanties. This was one of our Hugo nominee stories, and one of my personal favorites. Initial reaction, though, was largely negative, with multiple brief comments feeling that it was too allegorical, too didactic, or too distant for their taste. However, this prompted a series of loved-it responses. The apparent swing and support led Cat t Fish to challenge all haters and denigrators to a sushi-eating contest, which Cutter McKay accepted on behalf of the denigrators, not on ideological grounds, but on the thoroughly correct assertion that sushi is delicious. I'm just going to quote a little story that I particularly like, from commenter Mirialena, who wrote, I am severely apophobic, though that may not even be the right word, since it's not confined to merely bees, Anything that's black and yellow or orange and buzzes sets my skin to crawling. If I get dive-bombed by a honeybee on its way to a flower, I sometimes lose complete control and run screaming like a little girl. It's so bad, I can't even walk under the crabapple trees or have any flowers in my yard. Even pictures of bees make my stomach tighten and my fingers feel weak. With all that said, I loved this story. The descriptions were so lyrical and the bee and wasp culture so intriguing that I forgot to think of them as bees and just fell into it. Sometimes I listen to the Hugo nominees and think, I wrote better stories than this in high school. Who thought this was worth honoring? Other times, a story comes along that is breathtakingly different and so well-crafted that I know I could only hope to aspire to its level. This is one of the latter. Well done, Miss You. That's what we have for this week. Come back next time when we rise against our Vespidian overlords in the comments for episode 344 and establish an anarchic commune that promptly stars to death.
1: Thanks, Nathan. Alright folks, that's the show. Remember, it's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and it's brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license which means don't change or sell it but share it all you like. Our music is used with the permission of Daikaiju check them out at daikaiju.com and our closing quotation this week comes from George Bernard Shaw who said, The power of accurate observation is commonly called cynicism by those who have not got it.